0: Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm your host, Dave Hellman, and I hope your weekend is a lot like this Thursday night football game. I hope it just gets weirder and wilder the later it goes. Welcome in. It's the week seven preview show. We got so many good games to get to so many big matchups on the schedule, but let's. Relive a wacky finish down in New Orleans, as I just alluded to. The Jacksonville Jaguars outlast the New Orleans Saints 31-24. A, a sleepy, ugly game that got really entertaining over about the last 25 minutes. The Jags improved to 5-2 and two after what is basically a goal line stand. They go into a long weekend off with their best start Since 2007, shout out the David Garrard days down in Duval. But man, all right, so the the story of this game, fortunately, we can skip pretty much everything that happened before the fourth quarter, a snooze fest. But man, what a frantic finish. After looking completely hopeless on offense for most of the night, Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints rally from a 15-point deficit. It was 24-9 to heading into the fourth, card thrown a really ugly deflected pick six to foyer a Jags are rolling easy peasy and then the Saints just turn it on drive the field for a touchdown force a turnover on down by the Jags they get uh, at midfield they then tie the game with a three play 50yard drive just boom 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 making it look as effortless as possible and I I cannot stress to you enough how ugly it had been up to that point. Mike Thomas getting in the end zone for the first time this season, looking like the guy we remember for who won NFL Offensive Player of the Year a few years ago. And then, after a pretty awful for second half of their own, the Jags respond. Jacksonville Jaguars had 14 passing yards entering their final drive of the half. 14 passing yards in the second half. They get the ball. Takes them two plays. To go downfield and take a 31-24 lead. Trevor Lawrence, remember, came into this game with a bruised, sprained left knee. Really looked uncomfortable in the pocket. Really struggled with his accuracy all night. Only thing he had going for him was his ability to, to run, weirdly enough. Which, I don't know quite exactly how your knee hinders you from looking comfortable throwing. But you can run for 63 yards. But hey, football's a weird sport. Adrenaline is a crazy thing. Two plays. 44-yard catch and run to Christian Kirk. They send Christian Kirk on a little drag route against Tyron Matthew. He gets the better of the elder safety. 44 yards to the house. Jags have the lead, but here come the Saints. Again, this offense that looked helpless for two and a half hours just immediately springs to life. They get the ball back with three and some change to play. Drive the field. They get all the way to the Jacksonville six-yard line. And this is, unfortunately, the lasting snapshot of the evening. Third and goal from the six-yard line. They get the look they want. Tight end Foster Moreau on a corner route to the sideline. Wide open. The ball's there. It clangs off his hands. Next play. Not sure if goal line fade is the play I would call there, Peep Carmichael Jr., but regardless, Saints turn the ball over on downs. Not a great fourth down play call, but again, uh, unfortunately, I think Foster Moreau dropping the potential game-tying touchdown is is going to be remembered for a long time. If you don't know, I'm not even – I can't bring myself to even critique Foster all that much. you got to make the play. That is obvious. It's a wide-open pass, but he's a local guy, a New Orleans native, went to LSU right up the highway. Sign with the Saints this offseason. I mean, can you imagine how many how many guys dream of getting to the NFL and how many guys, once they get there, have the opportunity to play for the team that they grew up rooting for? And then to have that happen to you in a standalone primetime game? I mean, I get it. it's it's a results-based industry, and and you're paid to make that play, but I, I feel terrible for them, Foster. Keep your head up, my dude. Uh, you know, one play is not going to define you or your career, but brutal way for this game to end for Foster, Moreau, and for the New Orleans Saints. Don't let the, the wild finish distract you. Like I said, this, this was a really ugly watch. I think the the lasting impression from this game before the final eight or so minutes was people talking about, holy hell, how long are the Saints going to be stuck with Derek Carr exactly? And maybe it's not all Derek Carr's fault. There's always plenty of blame to go around when an offense struggles this way. You know, whether it's, again, Pete Carmichael, the play caller, the guy who designs the scheme, whether it's the Saints offensive line, although I honestly thought for not having either of their starting tackles, Saints offensive line held up decently well, all things considered, but it was so rough to watch. Saints had 200 yards on their first nine possessions of this game. They were 3-18 and 18 on third down. But they caught fire on the last five. 200 yards on their last five possessions of the game. Made it an interesting one at the very least. There was a moment when Foye Olukon picked off Derek Carr and returned it for a touchdown. The Saints opponents had as many touchdowns in the Caesars Superdome as the home team the New Orleans Saints had all season. So at the very least, I guess it's a silver lining that the Saints' offense looked viable for the last 10 minutes, but nobody wants to hear that after you let a game-tying touchdown slip away for the Jags. Like I said, best start in a long time, 5-2, and they're on top of the AFC South. Record-wise, they look like the team that people were picking to win the division and maybe be a, a, a team that could make noise in the playoffs, but I gotta tell you, much like the critique we give for the Eagles in the NFC, this Jags team has truly yet to look impressive. They beat the hell out of the Colts last week. Cool, they were starting a backup quarterback. They've actually, they've probably looked their best against the Colts in you know both their biggest moments. They did beat the Bills in London, but the the theme for the season is sloppiness, disjointedness. Trevor Lawrence the knee injury is a real thing. I, I'm not going to bash anybody too much for playing through an injury on a short week going on the road on Thursday night is difficult, but Jags had 56 passing yards in the second half. Trevor Lawrence, his stat line is going to look good. 20 of 29 for 200, a touchdown quarterback rating of hundred, but man, it was not pretty particularly in the second half. And Christian Kirk's touchdown put this thing away. It's a great play, but for how good the Saints defense is, I put that more on a defensive breakdown than anything. No offense to the Jags. Calvin Ridley was supposed to take the league by storm in his first season back from suspension, got traded last year. One catch for five yards, one carry for no yards. This offense is just leaving a lot to be desired. Trevor Lawrence leads the team in rushing. There's there's work to do here if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm assuming, based on everything the Jags have been through, their fans are going to take it. You're on top of the division. You're 5-2. and The defense, a surprising bright spot. They did their thing again. They got a defensive touchdown. They got a takeaway. They're probably going to be on top of the league in terms of takeaways for another week. Good against the run. Made the Saints fight for every yard, so... There's stuff to feel good about here if you're the Jags, but I know you'd feel better about it if you could unlock this offense to another level. That's what Doug Peterson was brought in to do. It hasn't happened on anything resembling a consistent basis, but you go on the road on a Thursday night, you get a win. You go into a weekend off at five and two. I assume you're going to take that and say, yeah, we got a lot to clean up, but it could be a lot worse. So. Honestly, I'm just grateful we had that much to talk about. I spent 75% of the game wondering how the hell I was going to break it down. It was a brutal watch for a while, but leave it to the NFL to find some entertainment, even in the roughest games. Fun finish. You know what else is going to be fun? Week seven, great matchups on Sunday, all up and down. Every window of Sunday has something to get excited about. I want to start in the early window with a big, big chance for the Detroit Lions to further announce themselves if they haven't done a good enough job already. I'm joined now by my buddy Greg Olson, who is on the call in Baltimore this weekend. All right, Greg. Lions, Ravens, whenever I get the chance to talk to you, if it makes sense, it just feels like a good place to start with the tight end. I hear so much about how hard it is to transition to the tight end position as a rookie, how difficult that is for first-year guys. And well, guess what? It just absolutely doesn't look that hard for Detroit tight end, Sam Laporta. Absolutely making it look easy through the first six games of his career. I'm curious if you can shed some light for me. What is going on for this guy? And and what is helping him get off to this fantastic start?
1: Yeah, and, and we had him earlier in the year. And and Dan Campbell, he told us, he said, listen, there was a lot of good tight ends coming out on the on, in the draft this year. He was number one on our board. He was the guy that we that we kind of sought after. We, he was the guy that we targeted um, because we felt like he was the best fit for us. He's like, listen, there might've been a guy who was a little bit of a better blocker or one guy who was a little bit of a better pass receiver. But as far as what we're gonna ask our tight ends to do, which is be serviceable in the run game, be able to establish that identity and be able to play that style of play action ball, but then also have the ability to go out and win. We felt like he was the best of both those worlds. And when you put the film on for a young player, you know, there's, there's two types of tight ends in the league. There's a tight end that if you scheme him open, he can get open, catch the ball, do a little bit after the run, but he's only going to get what you scheme him. He's going to be the product of play action. He's going to be the product of nakeds and bootleg passes where the, the threat of the run or the misdirection is going to pop him open and a great offensive coordinator can scheme that. And obviously Ben Johnson does a lot of that. But then the other category where I think Sam Laporta for a young player is kind of starting to trend to is a guy that can get himself open. He's a guy that can just win a matchup. He's not so reliant on the perfect scheme versus the perfect defense for him to pop and be the read. He can win. He can find space. He can win, man. He can find, he can find holes in zone. I obviously he's a young player. He's a rookie, but when I put on the tape, I see him winning those matchups where the play is not just getting him open by design. And I think that's a important, you know, kind of distinguishing characteristic for a lot of tight ends around the league is that's why there's the Kelsey's of the world. And then that's why there's other guys, you know, and doesn't mean you can't be productive. It just means you're relying on a, on a scheme. And, and I think Laporta has shown early signs that he's a guy that will benefit from a great scheme, but he's also having the ability to generate his own opportunities by getting open. And I think that's uh, that's easier said than done, let alone
0: for a rookie. He picked up, I think it was against green Bay. It was like a third and eight, but it was a tight window throw. It just really opened my eyes. Like you're talking about where you're like, okay, this isn't just a guy that you're scheming up a shot for once or twice a week. This is a guy that Jared Goff trusts in high leverage situations. No doubt.
1: And that, and, and developing that trust as a young player um, is critical. Uh, That's, that's the first step towards establishing a key role in any offense for any position is, is, is the trust of your teammates. And then after the trust of your teammates comes the trust, of the coaching staff. So I I, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, He's in there on a lot of rundowns. He's not just coming in to catch the ball on third down or 11 personnel. He's in there on a lot of the rundowns, which, you know, is where you kind of earn your stripes in the league. And the more he shows that he can shoulder a lot of that uh, different responsibility and have that versatility, the more opportunities he's going to continue to get.
0: All right. So lions at Ravens this weekend. And I asked this question of Peter Schrager earlier in the week, I would love your take on it. You mentioned it. you and KB had the Lions week two for the overtime loss to Seattle. And since then, they've just kind of beaten the hell out of everybody. I mean, it's been a month where they haven't really played a tightly contested game. Now you're going against the Ravens, a team that's that's kind of been there and done that. Do you view this as a chance to make a statement or is the last month already a statement?
1: Yeah, I, I think they're past making a statement I, you know back in week two we we kind of dove into that and, you know granted they lost but it was a thriller overtime loss at home to to um, Seattle but I think we're past the narrative of the Lions being a feel-good story and every opportunity is you know another opportunity to you know prove themselves I think they're past that right I, I think going back to that kind of turning point last year when they made that run and just fell short of the playoffs they've kind of picked up right where they left off with the with the opening week win on the road against Kansas city. Then they had the little mix, you know, the little slip up in week two. And then, as you said, they've run through it. So I think they're past that. I think they have to be regarded as just a legitimate team, regardless of their, of their background, regardless of the journey to get here, regardless of the franchise kind of futility and, and, and lack of playoff run and whatnot. I, I think they're, they're a legitimate team just by any measure. And I think that's how we have to start talking about them. Now, this is a huge matchup, right? This is a good team. I think the Ravens, record is not really indicative of how good they are I think they're a better team I think they've lost to some teams that if they're being honest they're probably inferior to them that they've kind of let slip away through the first you know six weeks or so so I think there's a good unit I think this defense is really good Um, I know there's some injuries really on both sides we'll see how that sorts out by the end of the week but this Ravens defense is going to be a big test Um, you know especially up front they're physical they're big at the front two levels and Obviously, that's where it all starts for this Lions offense is establishing that identity. And then everything
0: kind of comes off that. That is a beautiful segue because it's on my list of questions here. And it's about the Baltimore defense coming into the season. I was curious about them because it seemed like they didn't have enough juice in the pass rush. But lo and behold, here we are week seven and they're tied for the league lead in sacks. They're 13th in pass rush win rate. They're certainly finding a way to make life miserable on the quarterback. What are you seeing? And, and just looking at stats, it, it seems like they're finding a, a lot of different ways to get guys involved, but, but what exactly is it that's enabling them to rush the passer as well as they are?
1: You know, I think it's because they're able to generate it both by scheme. You know, it's very similar, like what we were talking about, you know, earlier with, with Laporta and the Lions offense. Sometimes you have to win by scheme and other times you're not going to have the perfect, the perfect play, the perfect blitz, the perfect scheme. And you just need a guy to be better than the other guy and win. Right. And I think the, the Ravens on their side of the ball defensively, kind of operate under that philosophy they do a great job of their blitz design they're going to use Patrick Queen the the linebacker I mean he's got three and a half sacks they're going to use him as an extra pass rusher a lot they're going to show different looks they're going to bail they're going to run simulated pressures and they're going to get free hitters and get one-on-one matchups so they can get it from the linebacker depth Roquan Smith's got a sack and a half Jadeveon Clowney who I think everyone the last couple of years just kind of said all right this guy you know, obviously had a big name and big reputation, but his, you know, the injuries have caught up to him. Well, he, he's a different player this year. I mean, he's, he's got himself three and a half sacks. And then you got Justin Matabike, a defensive tackle, who's got four and a half. I mean, so you start looking around, there's a bunch of guys at both the linebacker and the defensive line level that can get after the passer, get after the passer. And it's a credit to their depth. It's a credit to their scheme. Um, They're tough. They're physical. They play downhill. It's a hard matchup for anybody. So I, I think this is a this is a group whose pass rush, I think, has surprised a lot of people. But, you know, again, through six weeks, their pressure rating, their pass rush win rates, their sack totals. I mean, they're, they find themselves among the best and the most consistent groups in the league uh, week in and week out.
0: On the other side, for Baltimore, you touched on this. It, it seems like Lamar Jackson's having a phenomenal season, but I'm not sure people realize that because the offense – has still been a bit disjointed. It looks like a lot of missed opportunities, not everybody on the same page. Do you chalk whatever struggles they're having up to just missed opportunities? You know, a lot of drop balls. Are these very easy miscues to fix, or do you think there's something more here than meets the eye? No, I I think
1: sometimes it is just as simple as saying, Hey, you drop the ball, you drop the ball, right? I mean, that's not a matter of, you know, getting used to a new offense. That's not a matter of a new play call. I mean, you're open. He throws it to you. Just catch it, right? This is pro ball. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago they dropped, you know, which was very uncharacteristic. I think they dropped like seven balls versus, was yeah. it, I think Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh, yeah, it was, um, you know, but I think they have like three drops or four drops in every other week combined. So I think, um, you know, I think some days you just can't get at It's your day to kind of have a bad day. I, I do think though that where there is a little bit more relevance and truth is not so much even that it's a different play caller with with Munken coming in and installing a new system, new terminology. It's a pretty drastic change in philosophy, right? So for the players, you know, Lamar Jackson being at the top of the list, for the players that had operated in the previous system for all those years to now not only learn a new system, new verbiage, you know, new philosophy of a coach – but it's really a whole new approach, right? It's a lot more under center. He's doing a lot less designed runs. It's a lot more 11 personnel versus the traditional, you know, big heavy personnel that we had seen all those years where they're running at a 22 personnel with multiple tight ends. They have the fullbacks, they have all these big bodies and it was a million guys and it was Q runs and Lamar Jackson's running all that's not really what they're doing, right? They're, they're running a lot of more traditional running back plays, um, He's operating more as a passer. He's operating more with less motion, less movement, more kind of stationary pass routes. He's not throwing the balls downfield as much, so his completion percentage is up. So it's a very different, unique approach to how they want Lamar to play quarterback. We we see a lot of his runs being at a dropback. He's dropping back and then things breaking down and he's turning into a runner. And they've got you kind of spread out all across the field because they're an 11, you know, three wide receiver 11 personnel. So I think it's a lot of people just getting used to a new brand of football because it's a, it's a, I think it's a bigger philosophical shift from what they want to be in the identity of the offense and the style of play. than I think maybe people want to, um, you know,
0: stop and and realize you mentioned Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator in Detroit. And I'm curious about this. Clearly, whatever he's doing is a big part of Jared Goff's revival, if you will. But I don't think this degree of a level up could, could just be on the OC. It certainly seems like Jared Goff has raised his game all on his own, independent of whatever the scheme is. Would, would you agree with that?
1: Oh yeah. I, I don't think there's a question. I think you're spot on. I, I think very rarely in the NFL, is there ever one clear cut reason for anything good or bad? You know, you add one player well, you've won every game, you know, they add Roquan Smith, for example, and I'll answer your question, but for example, they add Roquan Smith and, their defense is like number one or number two since that trade last year from Chicago. People are like, oh, it's ever it's he's a big part of it, but it's not as simple as if I put Roquan Smith on another defense, they would be right. number one, right? It's not that simple. So to answer your question, it's very rarely, oh, you know, is it the play caller? Is it the quarterback? I think it's yes to everything. I think it's he has a really good play caller. I think they've added better weapons around him. I think as any quarterback progresses in the league, he's improved. I think he's been now operating in a similar system you know, pretty much his entire career. And he's very comfortable. I also think Dan Campbell and, and, and staff have really challenged him. I think when he got there from, from the Rams in that trade, I think they really challenged him to say, Hey man, if you want to be the quarterback of the future here and not have this, you know, look to replace you, you know, over the next couple of years, you got to improve, you have to challenge yourself. And, and I think Jared Goff has not only done that, I think he's completely bought in and leaned into it and, and the results speak for themselves. So, it, it, I feel good. I'm happy for Jared. I think he had a, that was a tough situation to get traded out and to see your replacement win a Super Bowl in year one. I I don't care how mentally tough you are, that's a tough pill to swallow. So I'm happy for his success. I think he's earned it. I think he's battled through some tough times and come out the other end. And he's not just participating in the success of the Lions. He is a key engine of what makes them go. And you know, I think the the conversation could be had that right now, if you had to pick your top five you know, MVPs and typically they're all quarterbacks. I I think it'd be hard to make an argument that he's not in that top five or so guys in that picture. I I think he's playing for arguably one of the best teams in the, in the conference. And he's a big reason for their success. So I think, um, I think if we look at just this year, I think it'd be hard to make an argument otherwise.
0: I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go against the resume of a guy like Patrick Mahomes, but if we're just talking about the first seven, Yeah. If we're just talking about, about 2023, I'm right there with you, man. I said, maybe the best quarterback in the NFC through the first six weeks of the year could argue it's the best quarterback in the NFL, definitely on the short list. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Jared Goff, man. I I can't wait for this matchup. I agree with you. I don't think the lions have a whole lot proved, but, but man, I'm, I'm excited just to see two really good teams go against each other. Greg, enjoy the call of this one. I appreciate the time. Appreciate you, man. Thanks. Ravens lions, obviously in the early window on Sunday, but in prime time, Sunday night football, we've got yet another banger of a game in the early half of the season. We've got the Miami dolphins going up to the link Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. What a, what a fun time in Philly right now. You've got the Eagles rolling again, five and one You've got the Phillies across the parking lot once again playing deep into the MLB postseason. Scenes are going to be electric in Philly. That would probably be the case even if this wasn't such a good game, but it's the game of the weekend. Two and 5-1 teams, five teams with that good of a record. Eagles obviously coming off a head-scratching loss to the Jets. Dolphins went and slapped the Panthers around last week. Piece of cake. If you want to call this a statement game for Miami, I guess you can. They did lose by almost 30 to Buffalo a couple weeks ago. This is another opportunity to take on a member of the, the NFL's ruling class, the NFC champions from last year's Super Bowl runners-up. I personally am just going to look at the statistical excellence. I know that doesn't win you any trophies, but the Dolphins are a very, very good team. Number four overall in DVOA, most of that is because of their borderline historic offense. Eagles right behind them at number 7 in overall DVOA. Again, the story of this is the offenses, the defenses are are fine, I would say lacking right now. A big chunk of that is due to injury. We'll get into it. But you're coming to this game for offense. I just touched on it. I have to assume the vibes aren't great with the Eagles right now. Like not the overall team Five and one is is a fantastic place to be, but the injury bug just continues to bite these guys. and not the news you want to hear heading into a game against this offense. Reed Blankenship currently hurt. Lane Johnson, the right tackle. Good news on his injury front, but not practicing as of Thursday. Devonte Smith not practicing as of Thursday. Darius Slay still dealing with an injury. Jalen Carter and Dallas Goddard as well. The new cornerback the Eagles added, added Bradley Roby, is dealing with an injury. The rookie DB, Eli Ricks, got hurt during the game against the Jets. Rookie safety, Sidney Brown, is hurt. That doesn't even include the guys that are on IR, Avante Maddox. Now, obviously, this is a theme. Nobody wants to hear you whine too much about injuries. The New York Jets just beat the Eagles with four healthy cornerbacks Last week, neither of whom was sauce Gardner or DJ Reed. So everybody's got talented players. Everybody gets hurt and good coaching staffs can put together a winning game plan. That's going to be the challenge for the Eagles. I think is to lean on their pass rush to try to be an equalizer in this game. Hopefully Jalen Carter can play. You got Josh sweat. You've got guys that can get after the quarterback. The fun thing for me is going to be, are they good enough to get to Tua tongue of in time? Dolphins quarterback is averaging two point three seconds per release. That's an average, which is silly to think about. He's only been sacked six times in six games this year, and four, four count them, came against Buffalo. Once the game was already well out of hand, Tua didn't start getting sacked until Buffalo was up by 17 or more points and could just tee off, trusting that the Dolphins weren't going to be able to run the game. So, if the Dolphins have any semblance of balance, I don't know how often even a great pass rush is going to get to to Tua Tungavailoa. On the flip side, maybe the Eagles have what it takes to make this thing a little more one dimensional they've only allowed one team to rush for hundred yards. Say what you will about the Eagles defense, but their front seven has handled the run fairly well. Now, a good point of that is that they've built leads in a lot of their games, but even going against the Rams who have been a top 10 most efficient run offense this season, they held LA to just 54 yards. And that was a game that was within striking distance for the Rams, not a game where the Rams were down by a big margin. So even against a good team in a balanced game, maybe the Eagles can do something against the the Dolphins running game. Conversely, I think the Dolphins can be gashed on the ground. Knowing how well the Eagles run the ball and have run the ball at times this season, you have to think of this as a really favorable matchup. The Dolphins are a bottom 10 run defense to this point in the season. They've given up some gaudy totals. It's kind of skewed because they gave up 230 rushing yards to the Chargers in week one. They they certainly haven't been that bad, but they are a bottom 10 run defense across the season. And when you consider that they've been playing with a lead for most of the year, which again, typically teams stop running the ball when they're trying to make up a difference, even knowing how much time the Dolphins have spent out in front, they are still not defending the run very well. Hopefully Lane Johnson can play in this game. I'll, it, it would make a huge difference if, he, difference if he could. But even if not, we've seen the Eagles absolutely dominate a few games in the in the running game, and I think this one has the opportunity to be that way. I wouldn't I wouldn't dare to assume too much about Nick Sirianni and offensive coordinator Brian Johnson's game plans, but it it feels like they've gotten away from the run at times this season when they they could just exert their will on opponents. I know A.J. Brown's out there and Devontae Smith is a really good player. You got a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of guys to target. But when you're capable of running for 150 plus in a game and against some pretty solid defenses, I think that's worth keeping in mind against the Miami Dolphins. Maybe you you lean on that and, and take your shots where you can. Even more so, if Zavian Howard can't play in this game, he's currently... Practicing, but a game-time decision, I would assume. The guy playing opposite him, we saw this against Buffalo. A big, big reason why the Buffalo game got away from the Dolphins. The guy that's stepping up in place of Jalen Ramsey right now, Cater Kohu, is allowing 80% completion rate right now. He's got a 127 passer rating against him when quarterbacks target him. It's looked really ugly for the Dolphins. That's what Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs took advantage of. I would like to see the Eagles run the ball, but I can't deny that there should be some opportunities for some deep shots when they present themselves. I think Jalen Hurts just has to make better decisions this time around. Three interceptions last week, a rarity for him to this point in his career. It's as many in one game as Tua Tungavailoa has thrown in the entire month of October. So as many picks in one game as Tua has thrown in three. Tua Tungavailoa not getting sacked not making a ton of mistakes. I just, I, I, hope this game lives up to the billing because there's potential here for a lot, a lot of points, a lot of excitement. I think that's the reason why the over-under is set at 51 and a half. Maybe, okay, we're looking on the screen and maybe it's up to 52 now. It's one of the eight games this year that's got an over-under set in the 50s. Clearly, Vegas expects there to be a lot of points. I'm going to be disappointed if it doesn't hit. Like, I really, I need the loser of this game to have 30 points if it's going to live up to the hype. And that hasn't really been a thing that's happened this year. Whenever we've had these super, super hyped games, week one, it was Jets, Bills, Aaron Rodgers exits, four plays in, devastating. Week four, Dolphins were part of it. Second half was pointless. The Bills ran out to a lead. They won by 28, didn't live up to the billing. Obviously, week five, Cowboys, Niners, Cowboys forgot to get on the flight to to the Bay laugher of a game. As long as it's better than that, hopefully it's great. I mean, Dolphins and Eagles are sixth and seventh in the league in air yards per completion. They like to air it out. They've got devastating ground games. Give me some points. Give me some fun. That should be a good one Sunday night. Let's take it back over here to the West Coast. A sneaky, sneaky, good game. The Pittsburgh Steelers coming off a bye. Heading out to LA to face the Rams. I'm joined now by my good buddy, NFL on Fox broadcaster, Adam Amin. Adam, I just mentioned it. The Steelers had a bye week to get some rest and relaxation. They could do some self scouting. Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth are expected to play. Is this finally the week that we see? A little bit more consistency and, and coherence from the Pittsburgh offense.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, out of the bye week is where we saw the improvement last year too, right? Matt Canada, we had the game. I had the game last year. I think they're coming off a bye week and they're playing New Orleans. And Matt Canada was getting a lot of the same criticisms about his play calling, about how the development process of Kenny Pickett was going. And they started to focus a little bit more on running the football and being the physical, you know, Pittsburgh Steeler team that I think we've become accustomed to seeing, uh, not just under Mike Tomlin, but obviously the history of the Steelers obviously speaks to that that style of play and that toughness and that attitude and grit and all the good things that the Insers like to see when they turn on their TVs on Sundays or they're at you know the stadium. So I I would will be curious to see if they can recover as they did a year ago. I think they were two and six at the bye last year. They ended up winning seven of their last nine. They avoided a losing season yet again. Uh, They're 12-4 and under Tomlin following a bye week. They've won six straight games off a bye week. Now, what does that mean individually to a game against the Rams? Nothing, but the track record at the very least does show that Mike Tomlin's the type of head coach and his staff seemingly is the type of staff that's willing to take a look at themselves. And, you know, you heard Najee Harris talking about it during the bye week, saying, I came in an extra day uh, for – film study with Mason Cole you know the center who's, who's had some struggles at times too and you know we had suggestions for Matt Canada we had suggestions for the offense and let's see if they start to implement whatever those suggestions are and I imagine if it's Najee Harris in the center of Mason Cole talking that they want to get back to a physical style of running the football it'll help if James Daniels is healthy it will help to have some depth at running back if Anthony McFarland can go it certainly is going to help to have Deontay Johnson back to be able to take some of the pressure off George Pickens, because what, from what we've seen with Kenny Pickett so far this year, his accuracy hasn't been particularly great unless he's throwing to George Pickens. So this is as healthy as the Steelers have been. Uh, they're always good after a bye week or traditionally have been good after a bye week. And Matt Canada, to his credit, was able to adjust last year after the bye. Let's see if they can do those things again, because they need to, uh, to try to pick things up in what's turning out to be a pretty competitive AFC North.
0: Yeah, that's it's a pretty funny point that, uh, you know, the Steelers offense is obviously really struggled to get going. But Kenny Pickett is good for a 70 something yard uh, score to George Pickens like once every three (laughs) weeks. So hopefully it can uh, hopefully they can get a little bit more consistency out of it. But it's funny. Those are I mean, those are some amazing stats, particularly about the way they rebounded last year and Mike Tomlin's proficiency coming off of a bye which kind of clashes with the narrative that I think is interesting is that the Rams are a favorite in this game. And I think um, at least in general, the the common perception is that the Rams are the better team in this matchup. I'm curious. I, I just, I don't think that many people had that on their bingo card. You know, I, I think yeah. the, 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 The public perception of this Rams team was that it was going to be a long year, and that just doesn't seem to be the case. I'm curious to see what you think of how they might handle the role of of being less of a surprise team.
2: I mean, this is the, the situation that I think we saw the last two years, right? Like, let's not forget they're two years removed from winning a Super Bowl, and last year they were about as injury plagued. As any team in the NFL, right? You know, when Stafford, you know, Stafford's dealing with injury, Cooper Cup's dealing with injury, Aaron Donald is dealing with injury. When those are arguably your three best players or the three most important players on your roster, and they're all not there for a good chunk of the season, Cup missed something like eight games, you know, basically a half season last year. You're certainly going to have some struggles, and we saw what his impact can do, right? As soon as he comes back, he's heavily involved. He gets his first touchdown last week in his second game back. Now you have a little bit of a of a duo that you can run with. And this is when the Rams were at their best, right? When they had Robert Woods in cup and then Odell Beckham Jr. came in after Woods got hurt a couple of years ago during that Super Bowl run. And when you had multiple options to go to, uh, Tyler Higby's been a productive tight end as well. I-, I think the concern I have with the Rams right now is they're I don't want to say lack of running game. It's it's what are they going to do in their running game without Kyron Williams? Cause he's expected. Who's going to play,
0: right? (laughs) Exactly.
2: They, 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 sign, you know, you know, Royce Freeman's elevated. Miles Gaskins elevated again. You know, you're going back to Daryl Henderson, who this team let go to add some depth on the practice squad and maybe we'll see if he's active. Does the rookie Zach Evans have what it takes to carry a full load? Uh, Cause Kyron Williams is one of those guys that wanted the ball a whole lot. And this is a Rams team that is predicated on the run game because this is a very, very, very heavy play-action team, right? You, you look at the top play-action teams in the NFL right now, it, it, it's no surprise what we're seeing in offenses around the league, Dave. The Shanahan tree, the McVeigh tree, whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I'd, I'd lean towards calling it the Shanahan tree just based off his experience alone, but Mike McDaniel in Miami, Shanahan in San Francisco, what Ben Johnson is doing separate from that tree in Detroit. Uh, what you're seeing from McVay in Los Angeles, what you're seeing from LaFleur in Green Bay, all of that, those guys are running a lot of pre-snap motion, and a lot of those guys are running a lot of play action. And you can't have effective play action without a strong running game. and We've seen that from all those other teams that we've talked about, right? The Niners have a strong running game. The Lions have a strong running game, or at least the, the makings of a strong running game. And if you don't have that, if you're the Rams, that really messes with Matthew Stafford. He's been one of the great play action quarterbacks we've seen in the last five years because of what these what this Rams offense has done for him and if you don't have that strong solid rushing attack like we saw in the first half against Arizona last week you can't really do a whole lot of other things then once the rushing attack got going you saw the offense get going so we'll see if that can help out this this Rams group because I'm, I'm a little surprised at the perception that this team is automatically better than the Steelers but it's a pick em game you know they're they're basically three-point favorite at home so maybe these teams are a little bit more even than people. And and maybe the folks out West might be giving them credit for. It.
0: Yeah. And we always joke there and not joke, but we always say that home field advantage is worth three points. I have a feeling it's not going to be much of a home field advantage for the Rams <laughs> going against one of the biggest <laughs> fan bases in the league. Yep. I did. I, I wanted to touch on one more thing, which I just, I, I, I thought about you and you know, the, the famous announcer jinx, uh, <laughs> When I heard this, Sean McVay was bold enough to say this week that uh, he said, "My son, my son knows better than to come during a game." And I, I don't know, man. I'm just not, I'm not sure about pushing your luck like that with a baby on the way.
2: We're taping this on uh, on Thursday. I'm I'm leaving on Friday for for Los Angeles to go meet with the Rams, and uh, I'll be curious where where Sean and his wife Veronica are at right now. I mean, he he basically guaranteed it, but he's also said, "Listen to his credits." His first kid he's, he's going to be there for the birth of the kid. And uh, Raheem Morris is obviously a capable, uh, you know, acting head coach. He's been a head coach in, in Tampa Bay and was an acting head coach in Atlanta. And he, he knows, you know, the scoop and the skinny about everything going on with that Rams team. And I'm sure they'll be fine, but the play calling duties would be the, the thing that I'd be curious about, you know, Michael floor, who's, you know, had some obviously big roles before and was with the jets the last couple of years, you know, he can step in and call those plays. And It'll be fun to see, but I, I give Sean a lot of credit, man. Like, hey, I kid's being born. I'm gonna go be with the kid. I respect that. I appreciate that. And we'll we'll see if uh his, his prediction no, comes true or not.
0: <laughs> I'm I love that. Like I you know I I, I think it, it get people get a little carried away with how important football is, and I get it. It's a billion sure. dollar industry. Yep. It is important, but like don't. Don't miss the birth of your kid, but also don't jinx <laughs> don't it t- by don't saying tempt he's the not, Yeah, don't tempt <laughs> the sports gods like that. One last thing before I get you out of here, I just I think this is so fascinating. You just touched on it, so you're in Chicago right now. Uh, you're you're gonna do Bulls preseason because you are the voice of the Bulls. You've been deeply uh, involved in in our coverage fox's coverage of the mlb playoffs oh and by the way there's an nfl game every weekend as well like how how i mean i know you love this time of year but uh you know just take me through your process of uh keeping this all straight
2: Uh, a few more late nights than i'd prefer certainly uh this time of year and uh you know some my crew gets a a lot of 2 a.m 3 a.m emails from me with all my research notes for the week and, and for that for the next game and all that so I'm sure they're looking at me, going, "Uh, you could you could use a few more, you know, hours of sleep." But uh, it's it's that time of year, like you said, David. It's, it's one of the best times of year for me. The NBA season starting up next week in earnest, and uh, you know, to get to do these games, to get to do these meaningful games where we're expecting close contests, we're expecting big things from two teams that are trying to, you know, get some traction going in the season. You know, you're you're about to hit the midway point of the campaign in the next couple of weeks, so you're really going to get an idea of who's who and who's doing what and what they're made of and, and what the storyline is going to be set up for the second half. So I'm trying to keep it straight as best I can. The last couple of weeks are the ones that wear you out the most just because the travel is more extensive. The prep is as deep as it's going to go. But, you know, it's, it's hard to complain when you're when you're doing something you enjoy and you're dealing with people that you like to hang out with. So it's all good.
0: And you are very, very good at it, my friend, as always. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you, man. As always, Rams are playing at home, which must mean the Chargers are off on the road. They are out to Kansas City for what I think is a pivotal division matchup against the Chiefs. And I I call it pivotal because I think it could decide the division race before Halloween. Maybe that's not strange because Kansas City owns the AFC West. But yeah, if they beat the Chargers to send them to two and four, Denver's in disarray. Vegas not looking like a particularly threatening team. If the Chargers can't steal one here, I feel comfortable writing the Chiefs in for a home playoff game. Of course, I felt comfortable saying that as soon as the Super Bowl ended, but don't worry about it. Laugh LA off at your own risk, though. Having said all of that, I hope the Chiefs aren't overlooking this. Yes, Patrick Mahomes is 28-3 against the AFC West. Yes, he owns the division, but two of his three career division losses have come to the Los Angeles Chargers. Not only that, Justin Herbert, six games against the Chiefs since he came into the league in 2020. He's only 2-4, and but his record at Arrowhead is 2-1. and He's only ever beaten the Chiefs in Kansas City to this point in his career. This is also a notoriously close series. The Chiefs win more often than not, don't get me wrong, but five of the last six have been decided by six points or less, so less than a you know, a touchdown and an extra point. The only game since Herbert got to LA that hasn't been decided by six points or less was the season finale of 2020. Patrick Mahomes was on the bench waiting for the playoffs. They didn't even make him active. So when Mahomes and Herbert are going against each other, you're talking about a three to six point game. It should be a lot of fun. Recent history suggests that, okay, enough of the fun with stats. What about the actual current matchup Obviously, first of all, the Chargers have to be furious at the schedule makers coming off Monday night football against a a physical Cowboys defense, a really intense game. If you watched it, Chiefs played on Thursday. Chiefs get the long weekend to get ready for a team on short rest. I'm sure there's a dozen examples of that type of thing happening around the league this year, but I'm sure the Chargers aren't happy about it. Their worst offensive performance of the season came against the Cowboys. I said it after the game. I'm sure Justin Herbert has lost sleep this week. Not a memorable game from him. In addition to the pick that sealed it for Dallas, he also just left two or three throws out there. Two, at least two really, really big ones on downfield shots that could have swung that game. And I think a big part of it was the duress that Herbert was under. Chargers are without Corey Lindsley now. Rashawn Slater, their, their awesome tackle has been dealing with injuries. The Cowboys pressured Herbert on roughly half of his dropbacks. Will Clapp, the replacement center, got hurt? Looks like Slater and Clapp are on the mend and should play in this game. But clearly, this offensive line was not equipped to deal with Dallas. And I think the story of the game is how well they deal with Kansas City's pressure. Fortunately for them, as good as the Chiefs are, and we'll get to how great their defense has looked. Generating pressure isn't necessarily their calling card, at least not so far. Cowboys were first, are still first, in pass rush win rate. 60% of the time, the Cowboys guys win their pass rush matchup, according to advanced stats. Chiefs are way down at 29, 29th. 33% rough, you know, give or take. So, I like the Chargers' odds of giving Herbert a little more time in this game. Although, could be famous last words with, Again, a replacement center going against the like, likes of Chris Jones. It doesn't necessarily get easier, even if Herbert has more time. The Chiefs are top 10 in overall defense right now. Their pass defense has been incredible. Their scoring defense. Here's, here's the stat for you right now. The Kansas City Chiefs, 2-0 and this season when they fail to score 20 points. So they beat Denver 19-8 to the other night. They beat Jacksonville by with only you know only scoring 17 points they beat the jags earlier this year. They're 2 and 0. Everyone else in the league is 11 and 61 when they fail to score 20. It's an offense driven league. Typically you you want to get to 20 points or north of it to have a chance at a win. Everybody else is only winning 15% of their games when they can't get to 20 Chiefs 2 and 0. Really really impressive stuff. It was on full display against Denver. Broncos had 197 yards, eight points on the night, and that's with the Chiefs only managing one touchdown of their own. It it honestly should be a similar story on the other side of this thing. The Chargers, the stats say that they've had a rough year on defense. 26th in DVOA. They were atrocious to start the season. Remember, they started with Miami. They gave up a boatload of yards. They gave up a boatload of big plays to the Tennessee Titans in a loss in week two. It's, it's looked better the last two weeks, averaging just 300 yards a game, averaging just 19 points to their last two opponents. Granted, some of that is getting to play a rookie quarterback in Aiden O'Connell for Las Vegas, but it's a talented Dallas offense that they were able to fluster and and hold to 20 points. I mean, you know, 20 points should win you a lot of NFL games. Clearly, if you're the Chiefs, maybe not if you're everybody else. so. You know, I think the Chiefs are a step up in competition. Clearly, they are Patrick Mahomes, the best guy doing it. But this should be a little bit of a challenge for an offense that still isn't clicking. If it already wasn't bad enough, Justin Watson's elbow injury looks like it's going to hold him out for this game. He hasn't practiced as of yet this week. People are calling it a multi-week situation. I don't expect to see him play. And the bottom line is Patrick Mahomes hasn't found any consistency with people that aren't named Travis Kelsey. I think that's why the Chiefs traded for McCole Hardman during the week. Not a, we talked about this, not a big volume guy, not a guy that's going to catch eight passes per game, but he knows the scheme. He knows Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes trusts that a, he knows what to do and B, he'll deliver in those situations. We'll see if Hardman plays. He, he did practice this week. Again, if you know the offense, you've been there for four years. It shouldn't be too big of an acclamation to get a handful of touches in your first week back. I don't expect a huge, huge role. The other name I'm watching is Rasheed Rice, the rookie, had his highest yardage output, 72 yards against Denver the other night, and his second highest snap count. So he, he was playing a lot more than what we had seen in the previous couple of weeks. So if there's a guy that Patrick Mahomes trusts the most, maybe it's the rookie. I don't think that says anything great about Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Kadarius Tony, but there's there's no time for figuring all that stuff out now. Like, we got to go with the options that work. So if it's Nicole Hardman, if it's Rasheed Rice, we know it's going to be Travis Kelsey. But I, I think the Chargers will present more of a challenge than, than probably a lot of people are expecting. It's a division game. Brandon Staley does some silly, silly things in situational moments, but he is a good defensive coach. He has come up with really fantastic game plans for opposing offenses throughout his career. So I I am expecting a division slugfest. I would be surprised if this is a high-flying game or even a Chiefs blowout, but it is Patrick Mahomes playing in the AFC West, however stressful it might be. I will ride with the Kansas City Chiefs to get it done and improve to six and one. And like I said, if that's the case, You can start worrying about playoff positioning in Kansas city, as far as I'm concerned, because six and one putting the chargers at two and four and everything else that's going on in that division, Jimmy Garoppolo, not slated to play this weekend. If the chiefs get this win, they would be six and one and it's a decent bet. Nobody else in the AFC West will be above 500. Yeah. You can start making plans to hang another banner at Arrowhead, but Still got to do it. I I think it'll be a fun one. I think it'll be surprisingly defensive. I feel good about the Chiefs, though. That does it for the main attractions, the headlining games for week seven. But don't you worry. Even in a week with a whopping six teams on a bye week, there is plenty of other football around the NFL this weekend. If you're new to the show, this is the wrap-up. This is what we call the hurry-up. This is where we go through the rest of the NFL matchups. Get you ready what you need to know as quickly as efficiently as possible so you can carry on with your life my wonderful producers are going to put three and a half minutes on the clock you'll see it yep there it is if you're listening you'll you'll know and also please don't tell me how i'm doing predicting or calling these games i don't want to know i'm just trying to get through the timer to be perfectly honest with you and get you ready for week seven so without further ado We'll start now and we'll do it with the Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the game that decides the front runner of a bad division winner will hold first place in the NFC South. I like the Falcons offense a hell of a lot more than I like the Bucs offense, but I like Baker Mayfield more than I like Desmond Ritter. Bucs did get lit up by Jared Goff and the Lions last week, but I do still think this is a good defense. I like their odds of doing something against Ritter a heck of a lot more than Jared Goff. That is a real sentence that makes sense in 2023. I like the Bucs to win the home game. Raiders at Bears looking like a backup bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo out for Las Vegas. The Bears, for some reason, won't tell us what Justin Fields' status is, but it's not looking likely. That opens the door for Tyson Bagent, who filled in against Minnesota, and either Brian Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell. I don't know what to do with this. I think the Raiders' defense is the best thing going here. So Max Crosby, step it up and and win another game, my guy. I'll roll with that. I'll roll with the Raiders. Browns at Colts, another possible backup bowl. Gardner Minshew, obviously going to continue to start in place of Anthony Richardson. He's on IR for the rest of the year. Deshaun Watson practiced on Thursday, first time in several weeks. TBD on his status. I would feel a lot better about picking the Browns if he could play, but even if he can't, I'm more than happy To ride the Browns defense against Gardner Minshew. He turned the ball over three or four times last week. Feel good about the Browns on the road. Commanders at Giants. Daniel Jones has not been cleared for contact. And the Giants offensive line is now losing offensive linemen during practice. Not a game. Not a game. Having offensive linemen go out injured in practice. Doesn't seem wise to bring him back against this crazy front. Just, just doesn't feel like a good idea. Maybe give Daniel Jones some more time. This is an opportunity that the Commanders can't afford to let go. It's bad enough they lost to the to the Bears a couple weeks ago. They got the Eagles and the Seahawks on the horizon. Ron Rivera needs this game. Commanders should win. Bills at Patriots. My only advice to the Bills, don't press in this game. I always joke about Josh Allen like he's playing Madden, like he's trying to pad his stats and catch up. Don't do too much. Let this game come to you and you should win comfortably. The Patriots aren't good. Only way the Patriots win this game is if the Bills do too much and turn the ball over a whole bunch of times. Don't do it, Bills, and it should be easy. You can say the exact same thing. Cardinals at Seahawks. It's a division game. We know the Cardinals aren't an easy out. They've either been in the lead or been within four points in every game in the second half. But here's the stat to know. Arizona getting outscored 64 to seven in the fourth quarter this year. As long as Seattle doesn't do anything crazy, as long as Geno Smith doesn't throw two or three picks, the game will be there to be won in the end. I like him to take care of business Packers at Broncos. I think the Packers are a better all over team. I can't lie. I'm terrified picking a first year starter to win on the road in the NFL. I'm going to do it. I don't like the vibes in Denver. I don't like a whole lot about that team but I'm not going to be surprised when I'm pissed off at myself for trusting a first-year starter in Jordan Love to win on the road. We'll see what happens. Wrapping it up, Monday Night Football, 49ers at Vikings. I'm not worried about the primetime Kirk joke. I think Kirk will be fine enough, I guess. I just think the 49ers are going to be pissed off. They're going to be looking to, to make a statement that they didn't fall off. Yes, I heard the buzzer. It's fine. I don't care if McCaffrey and Debo play. The Niners are plenty talented. With the focus of the loss to Cleveland, I think the Niners will take care of business. That wraps it up. I think it's going to be a fun one, y'all, especially. Hey, can we get to Sunday night already? Dolphins, Eagles, let's go. We will be here to recap all of it, whether it delivers on the hype or not. It's going to be a fun, crazy game, a fun, crazy day of football. We will be here to take you all through it on Monday until then. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm going to keep saying it until you do it. Go follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and I will catch y'all on Monday. Enjoy the fall.